Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. That you is available to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Judy. Well, morning, everybody. Um, clearly, it's Advent, and uh, we begin a new series this morning, thinking about. I think we've entitled the series, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. And we're taking the next several weeks to think and talk about some of the words that you've sung for, for many years, some of you, this time of year. Words of carols, words of tradition, words of worship. And we're going to be looking a bit harder at some of these familiar songs and hopefully in doing so bringing a, a kind of depth of meaning and maybe um, enriching our worship this, in this season. And I want to start this Christmas series, if you like, with a question, a simple question, and that is, when was the last time you experienced joy? Not any joy, but, but that kind of great, deep, real joy. The kind that you can't help, but you just can't contain the joy that spills out of you. If you haven't noticed, joy is a word that we use a lot this time of year. It's on coffee cups, it's on t-shirts, it's on, it's on all sorts of stuff. And I think everyone, everyone would agree that more joy is a good thing. Whether you're, not, whether you're a part of a faith community or whether you're not, I think we can all get behind the idea that more joy would be, would be a really good thing. Not just, not just a feeling, but a deep, abiding joy. Joy with legs, you might say. Joy that can hold, joy that can hold the weight of what's going in in your heart and your mind today. Joy that can hold the weight of the world and the challenges that we see amongst us. Joy that doesn't wane when our circumstances change. Despite our culture's commitment to the word this time of year, for many we don't actually experience much more joy. In fact, actually we experience more anxiety or, or more worry, maybe more activity and busyness, maybe acute sense of loneliness, maybe emptiness when it's all over. But in the midst of that, in the midst of this kind of slightly chaotic season for some, the Gospel of Luke tells us that there's this rather mysterious messengers, these angels that bring a message from God. And the angels say, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Notice the angels don't say, I'll oh, bring good news and great joy. Because it's the good news that brings the joy. If A, then B. This tells us something about joy. This tells us that joy is always a response, always intertwined with, always connected to good news. The good news. One of the great thinkers of, of, of the many of you will know, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. In this book, Lewis recounts his search for joy. He spent many years of his life as a very committed and very thoughtful atheist. And he grew up in the church, however, and but he kind of rejected the rigidity of it and just the, the rigmarole of it and what he experienced as a kid. But in his book, Lewis recounts that well, it was largely this word joy that led him back to faith. 
that he could find no other lasting source of this word anywhere but in the person of Jesus. So Lewis discovered, after many years of searching, what the angels said was true. Great joy goes hand in hand with the good news. If A, then B. And part of my hope this morning is to kind of reconnect those things, to, to reconnect joy with its source this morning. So let's go back to the angels for a moment. The point of the angels showing up in this scene with this message of joy, well, it says the glory shone around them. Now, I know we hear that story, and we hear that bit of the verse, and we hear it every year, and it's easy to kind of pass it by, but this is really important. You see, the word glory, the idea glory, in its original text, if we take it from uh, the Greek into the Hebrew, which was its original place, if you like, what it implies a kind of weightiness, a heaviness, an abundance, a mass, a force. Doxa in the Greek, some of you will be familiar with physics. There's a couple of physics teachers in the room. This basic principle that says two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. This means that two bodies need to occupy the same space at the same time. The denser, the heavier, the weighter of the two will always win out. It will displace the other. And what does that have to do with angels and joy and glory? Well, actually, see, the principle helps us understand what this word, glory, what we celebrate this time of year, what the angels came to communicate, what this new reality that God is bringing to our human experience in the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we can think of it like almost this beautiful collision between heaven and earth. Up there comes down to here. And our human reality collides with a godly reality. And here's the thing. When that collision happens, the weightier of the two realities, the glorious reality of God displaces the human reality. The angels are living proof of it. The angels are living proof of what happened when God gets hold of a life. When the glory of God shines in us and through us and around us, it's living proof of what happens when God replaces, displaces, if you like, our little human realities of worry and fear and shame and regret. It displaces that with this good news of Christmas. See, at Christmas, realities collide. That's the good news. It's at the heart of the good news message is, it's a fair question to say, what makes this so good? Well, Joy to the World is the song we've sang just a moment ago. It was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts, who composed about 750 songs in his lifetime. And uh, you'll probably be familiar with one other one. I, when I survey the wondrous cross was also something that he penned. But Watts based this hymn, this joy to the world, this carol, on Psalm 98. And it's a psalm that's really important to us because it names what the good news is about. The psalmist writes, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory 
of our God. And the psalm speaks to this collision of what this new reality is like. It speaks to the Savior Jesus and what he will do. He will go to the cross and he will overcome death and his victory will be your victory. And he will extend an invitation to everyone. He will extend it to shepherds, to Jews, to Gentiles, to you and to me. It's for everyone. And he will guarantee a love over your life unlike anything you have ever known and experienced before. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that knows no limits. And it's a love that chases you down. And he will be faithful. And he will not stop pursuing or breaking into this world. This is his promise until peace and shalom have been restored. That's the new reality. That's the result of this joy. And that's what Peter is talking about when he says, a life marked with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's knowing that because of Jesus, it's better here. It's warmer here. It's okay. The psalmist said it this way. He said, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. I just want to take a moment to contrast, if you like, this picture of joy with often what we see in our culture. So often is joy is chalked up along beside happiness. as an emotion we feel in response to a particular circumstance. And there is some problem there, though, because that means we could become victims, effectively, of our circumstance. We become dependent on something other than good news to bring us joy. Back in the 19th century, there was this great preacher comes psychologist, F.B. Mayer, and his, he helps us to understand this connection between our joy, our emotions, and our spiritual life. And Mayer says that, you know, when we accept the fact of Christ, Christ's existence deep within us, and make the aims of our life to draw on that and develop it, we will be conscious of a glory transfiguring our lives and irradiating the ordinary things. In other words, the only circumstance affecting our joy is our acceptance of the fact that Christ's existence in us. Our worlds have collided. And that irradiates everything that's happening around us. It bleeds into, seeps into our circumstances one of the best pictures of this, I think, that I've seen comes, if you've ever read the Tolkien trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, many of you will know this. And uh, in the third part of the book, perhaps you've seen the film, there's a scene where just everything is falling apart. And the good guys, well, it just looks like it's going to be the end. And they're trying to destroy the ring and save Middle Earth, and it's not going well. And then one of the heroes of the stories, Gandalf, in the midst of all this gloom and doom, he does something no one would predict. He starts to laugh. And one of the hobbits, who's on Gandalf's team, if you like, is watching, and actually he's a bit miffed. And he's caught off guard by Gandalf's behavior, and he's like, why is he doing this? Why is he responding in this way? Can't he see what's going on around him? And then Tolkien writes this. He says, Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face, now close beside his own. For the sound of that laugh 
had been gay and been merry. Yet in the wizard's face, he only saw lines of care and of sorrow. But then he looked more intently and he perceived that underneath all there was was a great joy. A fountain, a mirth that set a kingdom laughing if it was released, if it was to gush forth. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the angels know what the psalmist knows, what Gandalf knows, that in spite of our circumstances, there is a greater and truer reality that has come to bear on the earth. And this is the good news that cannot be thwarted by, by circumstances or emotion. A Quaker theologian once said this, he said, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. Isn't that great? I don't trust the theology of a person who doesn't laugh. Here's the thing, it's not flippant, it's not out of touch laughter, it's not a forced laughter. It's a laughter that rests knowing that all, all will be well. And that joy is not, it's an emotion I have to conjure up or to manufacture. I'm just held just as I am today. Just as I am with this knowledge, this pervasive, pervasive well-being, as Willard puts it, of God whose victory is my victory. And the best part about it is it's good news for all people. No one's left out. No one's excluded. It's for the person who just feels like they can't get a break. It's for the person who just feels like they're just, they're just waiting. It's for the person who feels overwhelmed with anxiety. It's for the person who feels just... For the parent who feels just tired. It's for the person who feels like they're just living one day to the next without a greater sense of purpose or, or life. You can be held in this pervasive reality. There is unspeakable joy for you this Christmas. In the time we have left, I just want to name three th things really. How we might experience authentic joy how this might become tangible in our lives this Christmas season. First thing you might consider is this simply, just saying yes to the reality I've just spoken about. The biblical word for saying yes is repentance. It literally means to think differently about how I used to behave. There's this guy named John in the Bible and he goes around announcing that Jesus is coming. And he does so, he says, the kingdom of God is near, repent, believe the good news. It's that phrase, good news again. Good news is the cause of great joy. Repentance, if you like, is the gateway to good news. Christmas presents this collision of worlds and it represents God's reality entering our reality but we have a choice to make. Will we go on being the same? Or will we say yes to the new reality? Will we think differently moving forward? It also requires that we say no in a way. We say no to our own kingdom, our own pride, our own selfishness, our own indifference, our own entitlement. 
Friends, those are the, some of the biggest barriers to joy that we will experience in this lifetime, I think. Instead, we say yes to God's reality if we really want it. It's marked by forgiveness and selfless love and compassion and concern for all at all times. Maybe today there's a conversation you want to have with God. Maybe there's an area you know you need to repent. You need to think differently, differently about something. Or you've said or you haven't said or you've done something or you haven't done something. You just want to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry I'm going to think differently about my life. I'm going to, I'm going to let more of your glory in. Every day we have a choice to make. Will we let glory in? Will we let more of God's way be our way? Think about how great that would be if we all made a commitment to that today. And this church was a place that was known for great joy. When people heard the word Christian, and the first word they heard was, it was to be associated with joy and not judgment, not agenda, but just real, resonant joy. What if the same glory that seeped out of the angels that night was the same glory that seeped out of us as a community of believers in this place? We say yes to God, and that's where it starts, and more of his glory starts moving through us. The second way we live joyfully this season is simply by this, and this is difficult, making space. In the Christmas story, it's really interesting. You have the angels, and they're the most joyful characters of all, and probably the least joyful character. Well, maybe not. Herod probably isn't that joyful. But the innkeeper, we meet indirectly earlier in the chapters of Luke. We meet when Mary and Joseph, a newborn Jesus in the stable, there's no room in the inn. We all know this. Now, it's, it's not entirely fair, I think, to be hard on the innkeeper. We know from the story that there was a Roman census taking place, so the town was flooded with people, and there just wasn't any room. It's all full up. There was no space to put. It was just full up. No more room. I think life can often be like that, especially at this time of year. We can be all full up. Our diaries so packed. Too many parties, too many gifts to buy, too many things to do, too many things to remember, too many members of family, too many, too many religious services to be part of. How many of you are saying a default no to Jesus because actually you're just too busy, too full, no vacancies, but also maybe no joy? Saying yes to God is, is really important. But then we're called to structure our lives in a way that we continue to make space for God. It's interesting as you read through the Christmas story and the Gospels, people are constantly giving up something to gain joy. There's no simple way to do it. Maybe it's no to answering emails emails from home. Maybe it's turning the phone off at a dinner time. I was working on this sermon, I realized 
I was talking to myself. And I needed to make some space. So I've been thinking about that, how I might do that. And I'm reading through the book of Luke morning and night. And once I've finished, I'm going to do it again. Every few minutes, every morning, a few minutes, every evening, just consistently over and over. But I'm just trying to make some space for his reality to collide with mine. Staying connected to the source of joy. Last thing is this. Pay attention to the doxa, to the glory, to his presence. Pay attention to the ways this life that you lead encounters God. To God's reality breaking into your life, open your eyes to it. See, after visiting the baby, we're told, if you read, if you go on to read this little story in, in Luke, the shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for the things they had seen and heard, the things that they'd just been told. The shepherds witnessed the birth of the victor and they left their sheep and they've made space for joy. And they're traveling home and Luke is quick to point out that everything looks different than they can't help it but offer gratitude. Even for the smallest of gifts, they go on and they worship as they go back. They're going back to the same jobs, going back to the same old sheep, going back to the same old hillsides, the same night shift. But perhaps now they have a different lens, a different view. And this is true of us. The more attentive to what we notice of God doing in the world, the more natural our responses will be joyful. When we practice by paying attention to a new day, to the people sitting around you in the room, the community, to the sunrise, to the mill before me, and as we give thanks, as we honour and recognise God in those things, as I'm walking the dog and the crunch of the sound of the leaves under my feet and the sound of the rain on our windowsill that wakes me up at silly times in the morning, the sound of children playing, or whatever it might be. As we pay attention to those things, we can thank God for all the ways that actually he is around us, colliding, breaking into our world. And as we give thanks, as we honour and acknowledge him in these things, we will find our joy increasing. If we look back in the book of Revelation, maybe you want to read that when you get home later, there's a snapshot of these characters, angels, and we're told they're worshipping God. John writes this, day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is still to come. Now to be honest with you, I have to tell you that as I read that verse, it's a difficult one for me because I remember hearing this as a kid and thinking, it sounds like a never-ending church service. That actually would be terrible. But it's actually a picture of joy, I think. I think what John is getting at, this idea that he's getting at is 
Well, I think it's a picture of perhaps, perhaps some of you have experienced, perhaps you know this. It's when you're playing with your children, perhaps you played with a child, and uh, you have this moment when you do something with a child. Maybe you throw them to the air and you catch them and there's a laughter and then there's that, again, again, daddy. Again, again. It's what it is to be so caught in a moment of wonder, of thrill, of love, of just joy. To be held safely, to be situated in a pervasive, and good reality. Our response, the angel's response, is again and again. So let's do it. Let's repeat the sounding joy as Isaac once asked us to do. Repeat the sounding joy Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.